Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast, episode 51. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, Anthony, I have uh, two questions of perhaps a slightly sillier nature for you that I thought of when watching this game and I want to know, which is one, where do you stand on the jersey versus sweater debate in terms of what we're calling the thing the guys are wearing? Because I know some people have very strong thoughts on that. And two, what do you think of the Maple Leafs black alternate jerseys? Because I was watching this Battle of Ontario game, and personally, it just really, you know, Jacques Martin is there, Daniel Alfredson is there, they're playing up this rivalry all night, you're watching clips of the old, I mean, I'm showing you where I am, but they're showing you clips of the history here, and then just wearing this jersey that seems so antithetical to that. Then we can get to the grim Maple Leaf stuff. Um. So I used to I used to really strongly believe that it was a sweater. I think now more than ever they are jerseys. So either which one doesn't really bother me at at this rate. Like I, I don't know if you have a preference on jersey or sweater. I think I I mean I I always think of the story the sweater like that was a big part of my childhood growing up. But I, you know, I think we have to change with the times a little bit. As you say, at this point, it, the sweater thing seems a little archaic. It doesn't seem to fit the aesthetic of what they go with now. So I don't get riled up about it. But I do have some nostalgia about that story and as as a result about that word. Yeah, I think if if you were to and and you're a big baseball guy, I think if I was going to go to like the old school thing that has changed that like bothers me is like the NHL is, is the show. I don't know how MLB took over the show over the, the video past, games, like, I guess. 10, yeah. I don't know over the past like 10, 15 years, but like back in the day, like making the show was like making the NHL. I've, I, that one, that one does bother me. I, I think it works for any league where there are minor leagues that you're working your way up and then you get to the show. I think that's why it came into both the NHL and MLB because like you're grinding it out and then you get that call to the show. Whereas in the NFL, you know, you get drafted or NBA and you're just in it right away. And so I get how both those sports end up claiming that word. I don't know enough of the history to make a defense for baseball. I think, you know, hockey can have it if you feel strongly about it. Not that I want to get into a whole thing on this, but at least minor league baseball is cool. Like a minor league baseball stadium is cool. There's something about minor league baseball. That's just always a good time. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's not to say that, uh, uh, you know, an American league game is not a good time. It is, but it's like, it's not cool. Like it is a grind. It is like, those guys do not enjoy it. Like they, like that, you know, like they enjoy that they're playing pro hockey and they're getting paid to do it, but they, you know, there's, there's something, uh, like loving and affectionate about minor league baseball that is nowhere even remotely close to, you know, American League hockey, East Coast League hockey, you go down the list, unless you're in Europe. I mean, you're, that's spoken like someone who's not that big. Minor League Baseball is brutal. They make so little money, like yeah. way worse than the HL. Like, it's a terrible experience for a lot of these guys, it, and there are so many levels. It, it's but a vibe, not, though. Yeah. This the, the, this to answer your jersey question, though, I, I can't stand those jerseys. I, yeah. I like, but you know what? I, I just, I feel old about it because kids love them. But I see kids in them all the time. Like they sell really well. So like me personally, not a fan. I, you know, you're talking about them showing, you know, old highlights, at, you know, of Leafs Suns games and whatnot. I think those Sundin jerseys should come back. Like those Darcy Tucker, Gary Roberts, like early 2000s Leafs jerseys to me are incredible jerseys. Like they should, they should be rocking them. I, I think that's an, I think that's a great, great jersey. I think it would easily immediately be one of the best jerseys in the league that blue is incredible um you know it's not a overly pointed leaf it's um i don't know it the stripes on you know the sleeves and at the waist i just it's a great jersey they they should absolutely bring that back the black one it just it doesn't feel like the leafs and uh but once they hit the ice and they started playing hockey that felt like the leafs that we've kind of come to know um, and watch, especially of late. So I'll flip to you and say, you know, they've lost three of four. 
and they obviously had the the big nine three. Now this is a blown two goal lead against Ottawa at home, loss in regulation. You know, like they're you know picked up a point against Columbus, but they were down five nothing. It took a heroic game to even pick up a point in that setting. What is the level of concern here? I think it's it's not all out panic. You know, like they had this Buffalo game. It was nine three. You know, there's a quote that went around by Sheldon Keith about there being a highway to the Maple Leafs net. It it definitely felt like that at times. There was you know a really rough Samsonov vibe component about that where he gave up, I believe it was the third shot of the game and it was a rough goal that you really shouldn't give up. And you can tell how different it is playing in front of a goaltender. You just have no confidence. And obviously that does not justify losing nine three to a Buffalo Sabres team by any means. Uh, but then you had that, that Columbus game where, you know, you were in your piece at Maple Leafs Hot, so kind of pointed out that it wasn't as dominant as maybe people are going to remember it as. Like people, it was a sort of game that happens with the Leafs where they play an inferior opponent, they play a kind of evenish game, and then the Leafs come out on top of the lopsided score because their finishers are better. And that is a type of win that they can't. It's not like when some teams win those games; it's a, it's on the flukier side. The Leafs can sustainably win those type of games. That's not what you want to, you know, it's not what you don't want to hang your hat on, but like that's a type of win the Maple Leafs get. And that's fine. This Ottawa game, it, you know, I thought we would have a very different conversation tonight, to be honest. So we're recording uh, shortly after the game. And that first period, it was just really solid all around. You know, you they were saw great. the they were top great. six, you saw those reconfigured lines. They got goals from both of those lines. They might have been able to get another goal there. Like it, they were, you know, they were owning, they were tilting the ice, however you want to put it. Like, it just felt like watching a game, you'd be kind of kicking your feet up. But at the same time, with this team, a lot of the time this season, there have been moments where they finally get a lead and then bang, a goal comes the other way, like 45 seconds later. It seems like they're in a comfortable position and then suddenly they're not. And sometimes that's bad luck. Sometimes that's a bad bounce. We saw a weird bounce that was the winning goal on Wednesday night, but it is uh it's a difficult position because you look at their, their numbers across the board and they're kind of like this subpar possession team. Okay. Possession team with goaltending that is in a weird spot right now. And all the defensive numbers, like if you zone in on the defense itself are rough and you, there's reasons for that, right? Like we, we all know what the injuries are, but if you're looking at this Maple Leafs team, at this point in the season, kind of heading into 2024, I think that you, you'd probably take where you are in the standings coming into the year, but you definitely wouldn't take the way they're playing. Like you would have been expecting them to play better than this coming into the season for sure. So my, my concern that in terms of playoffs is like sub 5% at this point, like I'm not really concerned about playoffs. Like they're, in second in the division, even as we talk about their struggles, like they're technically five, three and two in their last 10, they, they managed to pick up points more often than not by and large. They, you know, I, I don't think Detroit is, is there yet to challenge them for a playoff spot. Their goaltending in particular is kind of falling apart. I don't think the Habs are for real. If you look at, if the you know if you look at the Atlantic um, or sorry the the Metropolitan, not overly concerned about a wild card contender in that category. I definitely am not picking up what Washington's putting down. So by and large, in terms of playoffs, it's like sub five percent. In terms of is this just another like wasted year? It's 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 like seventy five percent. Like that's the level of concern. I just that's where the that's where it's trending, right? Yeah. Like if if we continue on the path we're continuing on, that is the end destination. Like it absolutely is. The ultimate thing that is just becoming more and more apparent on any given night, is, well, there's a few things, but the first one just right off the top is how many easy goals they just concede. You know, and and I flagged I flagged two one in the neutral zone that ended up a two on one and then a rebound play by Owen power. And one that somehow turned into a Braden Schneider 
mini breakaway off like a neutral zone faceoff win. Um, like both just absolutely terrible. Like they had five guys behind, like between the puck and their net, and both of them ended up as odd man rushes by the blue line, like clean off the rush. Like that is just fundamentally it's terrible. And then you watch the Ottawa game today and again, very, very similar. Like the tying goal, TJ Brody is on the boards. Like Ottawa on in no planet should be able to break in there on what was essentially a mini two-on-one. I know the shorthanded goal is going to get a lot of attention and it should. Not only did they give up a shorthanded goal, but then they gave up a breakaway on the same power play and the entire power play, the whole game was awful. There are concerns there, but generally speaking, the power play is pretty money and I would be floored if the power play fell off a cliff. But the way that they're just allowing teams to enter the zone untouched, the way odd man rushes are just constantly developing out of thin air. You know, you go to that Columbus game, they won 4-1. You like go watch the Justin Danforth goal like five times. The Leafs dumped the puck in and he has a breakaway off a dumping that the Leafs dumped the puck in. <laughs> like, it's just like, it cannot happen. Like that is like, you're just constantly watching games where guys are just completely getting behind the Leafs defense, or they're just slicing right through the forwards. Like the forwards aren't checking hard, you know, back to that Batherson goal to tie the game. Mitch Marner just was not a good back check. And then this will, that is a point that will lead me to my second point of the concern is it's just the same old song and dance at this rate because Marner did nothing all game and he did have a bad back check and he was a problem as part of that bad power play all night. And he played the second most of any leaf forward. And like he played almost 23 minutes in this game and he was not a 23 minute, like very good player in this night. And it's just, it's constantly or the most same nights thing. this season, to yeah. be honest. Like, like if we're talking about someone whose plays fallen off, like you can look at Marner's numbers, and that's largely because he plays on this power play and the players he plays with, but his play has fallen off significantly this season, like across I, the board. I think it's legitimately worthy of a discussion. Like I see I see his production. Um, that line has not been dominating play the way they have in years past. I do think a decent chunk of that is having a rookie on the line and just it's it's not a knock on nice. I just think that is the ebbs and flows of having a rookie up the lineup, like the detail and the the consistency and the ability to bring it every single night, especially when you're coming from a shortened college schedule or you're playing every weekend, basically, and you get to work out all week and get ready for the game. It's way different. Totally can appreciate that. I it's a it's a fair, it's not an excuse, it's just the reality. Like it's it's a hard adjustment to step right into the league and be good for 82. But you see the flashes with Nyes. I mean, and to that, I'll also say, like, he's tracking for, like, 40 points, and he's playing with the best goal scorer in the world. Like, he's been stapled to his hip now for two months. And I mean, this like, line, as you point out, like, coming into Wednesday's game, you have just over 100 minutes of them five on five. Like, they're being outshot. They've outscored yeah. <laughs> opponents by one goal. Expected goals at, like, 51%, essentially. Like That's unacceptable. Well, you have two players who are being paid to be two. And again, like people harp on sometimes the, the salaries the Maple Leafs guys make sometimes to an exaggerated degree because the flat cap and what was projected. And like, there's a lot of things that go into that. But the reality is when you have two of the highest paid forwards in the entire NHL playing online with another guy who's talented, rookie or not, yeah. like they need to be consistently driving the play and was- they need to be outscoring the opponent by a solid margin. They do. Who has been the least best player this season? Nylander. I would say Matthews, but sure. I, I mean, Matthews more balanced contribution, Nylander flashy or whatever. But. Yeah. Between the two, those are the two best players on the team so far this season. And often if you look at the ice time deployment, that is not how it's shaking out. And I mean, to be honest, that's just, you know, the the 75% level of concern for me, we'll just kind of circle back to that because that's the same That's the same show that we've seen every year in the playoffs under Sheldon Keefe at this point where, generally speaking, Marner has struggled um, or he's gone cold at the wrong times. Like, he, you know, he, he did, he was hot early on in the Tampa series. Like, I don't want to dismiss that. He was 
And, but you know, when, when he's getting cold and he's playing the bulk of minutes, that is like, that is a problem. Like when you look at the team's overall, like metrics below the surface and they're not that great, the thing, you know, we can talk about the depth guys and and the defense and, and certain things over and over, but the reality is the Leafs play their top guys a ton. Like these are not, this is not, you know, the Babcock administration allocation of minutes where you could be like, the numbers aren't that good, but Matthew's only playing like 19 a night. So like, you know, Mitch is only playing 18, 15 a night kind of thing. Like these guys are playing like 22, 23 minutes a night. Like they're playing over a third of the game. Like it's yeah, not- getting a period plus of Mitch Marner. So it, it ought to be a pretty good period. I, I think that that's one thing with, and I know that casual fans are not our constituency here. I know the people who are listening are probably really tuned in, but a lot of the narratives around the Maple Leafs are often like, okay, so the core four and Riley is sort of this established thing and it's a known quantity and bang, that's that. And the problems are that there isn't stuff around them, but they, it, they are changing. Like it, 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 as much as you'd be like, oh, these are the same guys we've seen for years. Like, as we're mentioning, Marner has been significantly less effective than he was last year. Now, Matthews has been scoring way more goals than he did last year. Neil Amazing. Ender, what what Matthews is doing is incredible. Nylander, he has taken a step forward this season. Tavares has arguably been better at five on five and worse on the power play. And it's hard to sort that out. I would say that Riley's been better as well. So as much as it's the same guys... It isn't because Marner isn't the same guy he was last season. And so when we look at this team and evaluate this team, like you do have to understand that as much as it's like, oh, this is the same old story. This is the same uh, core. This is the same guys. And therefore, it's all around all about building around them. There are things that are changing within this group. And, you know, we're, we're harping on Marner and that being the negative side because we're in a bit of a negative spot with the Maple Leafs right now. You know, there are positives too, like, you know, the fact that Matthews is scoring an insane amount of goals coming off a season where he wasn't healthy and didn't produce at that level. So the thing that I'll just always harp on with this, because I've been doing it for years and anyone that's even been a semi-regular reader of the column will know this, is I've really harped on this idea of having three lines, like of needing three lines. And Zach Hyman when he was here went down to a third line and that third line was excellent, like excellent with Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev. And then, and like, we never saw it in the playoffs and in part because Nick Foligno got hurt, but even like the idea of when they got Foligno, like that didn't really come to fruition the way I would have expected to give them the three line attack. That's essentially required in the playoffs. Like you need three lines. Like when you have a tight game, and you're playing really good hockey teams, you can't just double shift your top two lines. Like that will not work over the grind of a Stanley Cup run. Now, so they didn't do it. We obviously know what happened. That entire playoffs, I thought, was just a like it was just Murphy's Law, we'll call it. On to the next. They acquire Ryan O'Reilly. And again, like, what is the thought? It's not let's build three lines. It was let's shoehorn Ryan O'Reilly into the two C spot and force John Tavares to play left wing and then have this like David camp or Al and or Alex Kerfoot led third line. And it was terrible. Like it was terrible. They got absolutely run over in game one of that series. And then like eventually moved Ryan O'Reilly down to the third line spot. And I understand that O'Reilly got hurt when he was acquired, which was unfortunate because it did it did limit your ability to experiment, but they weren't coming in trying to experiment and get ready for the playoffs. Instead, it was like, let's try to grease up Ryan O'Reilly's point totals and make him feel better about himself, which he didn't need to. He's a consummate Stanley Cup captain champion. Like you don't need to make him feel good. He knows how to win. And it wasn't like, to me, like that's not about winning. And now we see it. And it's like, this is why I harp on the Marner ice time, because like that to me is not about winning. Like you, like you played poorly, like you were not good and you played almost 23 minutes. And 
they give up the empty net goal and it's a two goal game. And then, okay, they come back with the, the next unit of guys. Fair enough. Like the top unit was just like out of sorts. Like they sucked on the power play. They weren't any better on the six on five. They gave up the empty netter. It's a two goal lead. I know they've been excellent on the six on five, but like clearly not their night, but like, why were they on at the end? Like to me, like you put those guys on with 40 seconds left and like, it's like, maybe it's like, it maybe helps them grease their point totals, but like, you're not serious about like winning that game at that point. Like you're not like, and I don't need to hear like arguments of pointing back to the Columbus game. It's like, just sit like you didn't have it tonight. Like you, you should not be on the ice, but it's never about that. Like, it's never about like the overarching principles of like playing the right way or winning or like doing the right thing. It's, it's about like certain expectations for the top guys or certain standards or certain ways of how they're treated and then everyone else. And like, we've seen it with Tyler Bertuzzi this year for years, it was Pierre Engvall. Like, like, he, like Sheldon would just call out Pierre Engvall out of thin air in post-game interviews. It would just, you know, it'd be like, they lost like three, two. And it'd be like, well, Pierre didn't get the puck out on the wall that one shift. <laughs> like What? And, and it's like the top coaches and the top teams, it's like accountability starts at the top and I, it does not happen here. And, I'm concerned like that is the 75%. It is like, it is the way that operation is run. Like, I think that they'll comfortably make the playoffs. I think that like no one will want to play them because like they're, you know, they have so much talent at their disposal. Like the guys are getting older. I just ultimately like one of my hopes when they acquired the extra talent that they did in the off season was that we would see them try to build out three lines and they have not even remotely attempted to do that to this point in my opinion other than the very the very first day of training camp when they said William Nylander is going to play center and like my ears perked up I was like wow that's like like there's an interesting thought at the very least to me that is an attempt at like championship hockey you're like I like we are going to build down the middle like I'm going to have you know William Nylander Austin Matthews and John Tavares driving down the middle and driving lines and dictating play like that to like even if it doesn't work to me, that was like an attempt to like, this is how, this is how you try to build something that's like extra special. And the, the last point I'll make on this of the two lines thing, cause I, I know I've just done a lot of talking is the only team that I've, I've really seen over the past decade that has heavily leaned on their top two lines and actually won the cup is the Colorado avalanche. And what I'll say about that is, is really two things. Nathan McKinnon has outpaced any leaf period in playoff production by like a mile. Like you cannot compare what Nathan McKinnon has done in the playoffs, even prior to winning the cup to anything, any Toronto Maple Leaf has done. It is not close. If you go look up those numbers, the second thing I'll say is they have Kale McCarr who is, I think very clearly the best defenseman in the world right now. And I, I love Morgan Riley, like playoff Morgan Riley. I have so much time for this guy. Like he brings it chips on the table. He is one of the only guys I will say he will show up and have a night, but he is not, you know, a top three defenseman in the world. Like he's just not like, he's not in that tier. I think he's in the tier below that, like, you know, elite tier. And it's, you know, it's all great, but like, he's not. And then they had Devin Taves and then, you know, like they had, I think the best defense in the league that year. Once they like rounded it out with Josh Manson and they got healthy and Bowen Byron was emerging and the Leafs don't even have anything close to that. Like right now that they, they would probably enter the playoffs as one of the worst defense in the league. So the reason I bring that all up is to say, you can't really compare what Colorado did because one, they had a superstar of the highest order driving production at such an absurd rate much higher than anything any Leaf has done. And they have the best defenseman in the world. And if not the best defense corps in the league that year, easily a top three. And so you can't really, like, you cannot replicate that path with the current personnel in place. No, and I think that when we're talking about these levels of concern and things that give you pause about the Maple Leafs, one way to kind of frame it is, 
sort of what's a solvable problem and what's not a solvable problem. And no matter what the Maple Leafs do, they're not going to have an elite defense group, pretty much. Like, realistic, based on, like, the trade chips they have at their disposal, what they could reasonably do. Like, people talk about, you know, Chris Tanev. I don't think anyone thinks that he's, like, a total world beater. And they're like, oh, he fits in so perfectly. They need a shutdown guy. They need a right guy. But, like, that doesn't mean that they would suddenly have an elite defense group if they got him. There's even, no path to that. Even if you blank slate it, you say the Leafs have endless draft picks at their disposal. It doesn't matter. Like, they're going for it. Like, who's the best defenseman on the market? It's Noah Hannafin, who I do think at some point we should discuss, like, acquiring him and the optics of it because he's 26 years old. He's a legitimate top three defenseman on pretty much any team in the league. You know, he's young. He's at, he's good. Like, there's something, like, you know, opportunities like that don't come around very often. Like, Dougie Hamilton signing a free agency with the Devils, Hampus Lindholm being acquired by the Bruins, like, like these are rare opportunities. I think that is worthy of discussion, but let's just say the Leafs got them. Like they're still not like their defense core isn't better than, than Boston's if they get them. And I, I would argue that it was, it would still wouldn't be better than Florida's with Forsling and Ekblad and Montour. Oh, for sure. So I think that like, again, a lot of these things can improve. Like you, there is a capacity to experiment with some of the forwards they probably won't, to be honest. Like, they probably won't throw. I know that you flowed the idea of a Marner-Domi combination on, like, a third line. That's interesting to me. It's tough because those guys are both, like, very pure playmakers in my eyes. So, like, I'm very interested in the other pl- person. If that's Yarncroke, I'd be like, I feel like a lot of good dishes would go uh, go to waste in that type of situation. But you can, I don't know, you can think about depth scoring and, you can add players to the bottom six that would maybe make that unit more defensively responsible, maybe more a group that Keith trusts, because trust is a huge issue, right? Like we talk about how he over favors the top six forwards. Also, that's about him not trusting alternatives, not trusting other guys. You know, like this third line, you know, it's funny. We're coming, we're watching a game on Wednesday where they had a hell of a game. One of the best games they've had in terms of sustaining offensive pressure. Uh, I believe they were 15 to one in shot attempts at five on five, the Domi Yarncroke Robertson line, like Robertson kind of blew a couple opportunities that with his shot, it's easy to imagine him scoring on. Um, But Keith had talked about earlier in the week that it was a line that was sort of trending down. The reality is like, maybe you can do some things that would make him believe in that more or just a longer runway. Eventually, there could be a world where they keep succeeding because fundamentally it's been a relatively successful unit. But when we talk about the defensive issues, which is really the the big weakness around the team, there's only so much better I think it it could potentially get. And like goaltending is just a question mark, right? Like at this point, yeah. it's a total question mark. Like you literally don't know what you're going to get. Like Joseph Wool was great when he was playing. He looked good. There's no reason to believe he wouldn't be good. But he's also dealing with a serious injury. You don't know when he's going to be back, how long it might take him to get into a rhythm. If some of the stuff he was doing before would carry over, we still have a very small sample size for him. Martin Jones, who is now your workhorse somehow. Uh, like when you signed Martin Jones, you didn't think, man, it's a it's a good thing that that guy's a history of starting 60 plus games and he can be a real workhorse. Like that's not what you think of when you sign a third goalie. That's where we are with that. Uh, I mean, you've gotten more from him already than you would kind of imagine. You know, Samsonov could be legitimately broken at this point. Maybe it's a little too early for something that definitive. But when you're talking about a defense core that the upside with additions is maybe average, like that's kind of the ceiling of this group and goaltending that seems unlikely to bail you out. I think Joseph Waltz could bail them out to some degree, just to be Fair. Like on my end, I would argue it. I think, but I, I'm mainly worried about his ability to stay healthy because he just basically hasn't throughout his career. But like, to me, he has the goods. I, I think he is. I like I, him. It's just like, it's just so hard to say at this point. Yeah. Like, for me, it, but like, he looks yeah. good. Yeah. He would be the least, he would be one of the things I would be least worried about. If he was healthy going into the playoffs, I'd be like, well, we'll, we'll, Wall will do his part. You know, he's Morgan some, Riley he's something will do that his could part. change. Like we talk about solvable, unsolvable problems. Like he's someone who could change the calculus around what 
this team's trajectory is. Like, there's not a lot of players who are capable of doing that in that way. Like, Marner, he, was, he was early on. He was doing it. Yeah. Like, Marner's one of those players, to be honest. Like, if Marner played as well as he's capable of playing, like, if he refound a different, like, a different gear, he's someone who could move the needle. There aren't the, that many guys who have the capacity to sort of change the trajectory of this team. The, the Marner struggles you mentioned, um, I think, I think the, the biggest piece of it too. And, and like we say struggles, like I'm aware he has, he has, I, I know what his, his box car stats are. Like he has 36 points in 32 games. Like I, like he's going to push for 90 points, maybe even a hundred if he gets hot and goes on like a little bit of a heater. But what we're talking about is you can, you can talk about those points all you want, but if he's getting, if he's only outscoring opponents by one at five on five with Austin Matthews, who again is the best goal scorer in the world right now, like that is problematic. If their line is not driving play, which they're not doing, that is problematic. If their line is giving up more than they are creating, which they are, that is problematic. And I guess ultimately like you, like you somewhat roundabout touched on Domi and, and Marner. And I just, I think there's so many levels to that in one and just like the sense of accountability. Like I, I just, the solution is always to like lend towards coddling and making him feel better and doing things to prop him up. And at no point is it ever really punishment. And like, at some point it does have to be that. Like the last time I think that we could say that, anything remotely in that territory happened was was when he got benched against Anaheim and then left the bench and like at you know those are the things that that people remember and when you kind of watch some of those things and like again like I we we see the point totals like no one is saying that he's not being productive it's it's the struggles of not driving play and, and, you know, to his credit, like he has set a really high standard as to what he's capable of. And like, it's, it's not there right now. So that that's all one story because like we, if like we can see it, like the, the player, like the teammates can see it. Like they, they know like that is, that is not good in a team environment. The second part is if you're Max Domi, like, just like, think about it for a sec. he, started the season on the wing and was playing with what, like a 19 year old rookie who looked like a fish out of the water in the league and then ended up going on the wing with David camp who like it's water and oil. And then event like eventually moves to center plays well and gets hot. And like now he's with, you know, Nick Robertson, who to me is kind of like, I don't want to call it a rookie wall, but like now he's like, he's entering that territory of like, you're just like trying to settle in as an everyday NHLer. And I think we're seeing just the ups and like primarily downs with that happening. And and that's been reflected in his ice time for like three weeks now, at, where he's routinely been among the Leafs lowest in terms of the forwards in terms of ice time. And then he plays one game with Mitch Marner. He gets three points. And, and like, not only just like it's one game with Mitch Marner, it's just like, this is the guy that he played with in junior. Like just in most normal situations, if you have two guys that lit it up together in junior, like you see them paired up together, like all, like almost to a fault. Like Evan Rodriguez originally was like with Jack Eichel in Buffalo. It's like you see Connor Brown in Edmonton who has zero points in 23 games. And what did he get with McDavid? Like 15 games to like produce zero points. But like, generally speaking, you see the shade the other way. Like these guys have a history together. They know each other. They've lit things up together. Like, let's try to rekindle some of that magic. And instead it's like, actually like there's a pecking order of like importance of players here. And like, you are like on the outside looking in and you have no chance of moving into that. And, and like, you won't get that opportunity. But that one time that you did, because Matthews happened to be sick that morning and you lit it up, like you can wait your turn to see if like John Tavares or Matthews like misses any other games to like maybe get that shot again. Like I, I just like that is weird. Yeah, I mean, and he had a very, very brief uh chance alongside Tavares and Nylander, but like it was scrapped 
Like it just they he got yeah. no run. Like he, he they gave him no opportunity. And again, like I think that they're. I mean, Keith knows where his bread is buttered. The idea of playing your best players a lot makes sense. It's pretty intuitive. Like when you have players who are really good, who are yeah. really effective offensively, you do want to roll them out there. But it has reached a point, and he's so familiar with these players, he feels like he knows exactly what he's going to get from them. And it, you just see him, I mean, you've seen it with defense, right? Like it's been hard for young defensemen to break through with the Maple Leafs and not, you know, Rasmus Sandin dealt with this. Like he had a difficult time establishing a role. Lilligren has had a difficult time establishing a role. You know, this year they just need him so badly that they can't really be hesitant about it, to be honest. Um, but in terms of him being a righty, in terms of them just not having top four guys, but it is, it is kind of like looking at, sort of the the gears work in Keith's mind, like there is not a lot of adventurousness. There is not a lot of thinking outside the box. There is not a lot of willingness to take risks. And what he has done has largely worked in the regular season. You know, he has one of the better winning percentages in league history, whatever. Like he can put together a resume and be like, oh, I've done, I've led this team very effectively. And I will give him credit you know, last year, pretty solid defensive numbers for a team that's not necessarily known for its defense. Like he has over the years gotten these guys at times to improve defensively. Um, so I don't want to just totally trash Sheldon Keith, but there are times where he seems like, for lack of a better term, set in his ways. And so it kind of reinforces, again, that narrative that this Leafs team is just the same deal and they're just running it back. It's like, well, when the guy pulling the triggers the guy working the levers is doing the same things over and over again, then you really do get that sense of sameness set in with a team where there is opportunity to, to, to challenge the order for lack of a better term, to do things a little bit differently, to make a 2023, 2024 edition feel different from a previous edition, but those opportunities aren't necessarily being seized. So friend of the site, Justin Bourne has made this point before. So I want to, I want to give him credit for that where he's essentially described it. And I agree as Sheldon is coaching to win every game. And, and intuitively you'll hear that and say like, it's this been a thing I've like tried to like, I've debated trying to write about and it can be a little bit difficult to explain, but essentially like every game is being managed in a fishbowl and and that is my concern as opposed to looking at the overall big picture like i don't know if domi and marner would work or if nylander at center would work and there's a decent chance that it wouldn't but the payoff if either of those things hit like matthews doesn't need marner to produce like you could easily move up cali yarncroc who he's been successful with previously and keep matthew nyes there and like that should more than be enough for Matthews to eat. Couple of power yeah, play. I mean, time he had and, high, like, inexperienced time and Connor Brown at the beginning of his career before yeah. those guys were the guys they became, and like, he was absolutely fine like, at even like, strength. Like I think Austin Matthews will be okay at hockey. Like I, I, you know, and so you think for a second, it's like the upside of Domi and Marner clicking in this example, or Nylander being successful at center, is tenfold anything that they're doing right now like it is like it that but that is that takes big picture thinking that takes like being willing to roll with some of the punches and like yeah you made the point about like in like obviously you need to play your best players the most like that's how you win games and like of course they need to do that nobody's saying to not but like within the flow of 82 games like there are moments where you have to set standards and just say like like that that won't cut it. Like you're not playing. And so I mentioned today, like the back check, but like, and it's, this isn't picking on Marner. It's just the reality of the situation right now. It's like they lose nine, three to Buffalo. Marner again, let all leaf forwards in ice time. He had the worst giveaway of any leaf that Buffalo shoved right down their throat within, you know, two seconds of the puck going from Marner's stick, right to Alex Tuck's tape and, you know, into the leaf's net. Like that is to me, like that is like take a seat territory and it's, and there's nothing easier to do it in a game where you're getting absolutely shelled. 
Like they well, weren't the, coming back. The Leafs have a walking send a message line in the form of the camp line, right? Like you send out David Camp, it's clear you're not going to score a goal, right? So if you send out David yeah. Camp for an offensive zone faceoff that, you know, after an icing or something like that, like you send a yeah. message to other guys on the bench, like, listen, I'm willing to do this to show you guys that you need to pick it up. But you can't do these things in the playoffs. And that and that is where I go to this point of like trying to coach every game. But like as opposed to like having a big picture of of building and trending towards being a successful playoff team. Like these are things where you need to set the standards now because you can't do them in the playoffs. Like you you can't go to guys in the playoffs and say like you can't be doing that. Like like the learning period is over. You've gone through an 82 game regular season together. Like the playoffs is is really like I got to lean on my guys and the foundation that we've built all season and make sure everyone's bought in and doing their jobs like that. That is playoffs. But the regular season is for building that. And I just I don't know. It's just I I find it frustrating. Like I just I don't think we see it enough. I don't think there's ever really moments where it's like, you know what, like it's just it's not flying today. Like you, like you didn't do the things that like we have as a standard, as a team. And it's just like, it's not happening. Like, I just, I don't see anyone talk about like standards that they should have in terms of like level of detail and discipline. I've heard Sheldon reference, you know, um, the highway to his net, the lack of details. I saw, I went through his post game tonight and, you know, it was like further, lamenting like defensive breakdowns but it's never about like this is our standard of how we play and like everyone needs to be held accountable to it like they just they don't do it and like all of their defensive metrics are poor and i just i know people think it's just like goaltending and goaltending issues and martin jones let in a stinker for the game winner i i saw the game i'm aware but like that's not it like they're like that is the level that they're playing at will not fly. Like they're like they're doing this against really bad teams. Like Florida is a three line beast. Like ten- yeah, I mean this is the opportunity was here, right, to pick up a bunch of points. Like they yeah. Boston was falling off a little bit. Like there is an alternate universe where the Leafs played some decent hockey over the last couple of weeks, and they're sitting atop the Atlantic Division. And that's not something that even seemed like a possibility sort of a month ago, five weeks ago. And that would make a huge difference to their potential playoff trajectory if they were able to win the division. It's not like, I mean, I think Florida is a really good team, probably better than the Leafs. I think the Bruins are probably better than the Leafs, even though they've struggled a bit recently. I'm not saying like the Leafs deserve to sit atop the division and like that's their ultimate destiny or anything. But like that is something that is, you know, and it's not like it's not in play anymore, but like, these are the type of opportunities you need to take if you want that to be in play for you at the end of the year. And yeah, getting to be at the top of the division, which is not what they've been able to do, right? They've been stuck in this tough Atlantic 2-3 matchup where they've been facing really good teams. And that's something they could potentially avoid. And these are the type of stretches where in theory you build towards that and it has obviously not happened. They're they're six points back of the Bruins and they have a game in hand. Like the like they could easily be leading the division right this very second. Like easily based on just like not like not playing poorly against teams that they should handily be able to take care of business um against and to their credit i will say i do find that they generally step up and play hard against good teams like i i went to the leafs bruins game in toronto i thought the leafs were excellent i thought that they outplayed boston i thought that they were the better team like i was in the arena and i know they lost in overtime neilander blew a tire the whole thing but i left the rink i was happy with how they played and i i left it thinking yeah i think the leafs are a better team in the play in a playoff series than them i know the bruins have the defense but i just don't think that they have the firepower to compete with the leafs like i think pasternak's really good i think marchand is still a very good player but obviously like father time is undefeated and then they have like you know b-tier guys like charlie coyle and pavel zaka and, and whatever like they're like like that is a team that like desperately should be all in on like elias lenholm but that's a different story I mean, that's the thing. Like, you look at the Leafs and you think, we've said so many negative things about the Leafs, justifiably. I mean, I'd like to believe. But if you go down the standings, you're like, who am I 100% confident is a better team than the Leafs? Like, 
you'd be surprised how few teams you'd say. Like I could go to the I yep. go to the Western Conference and I would take all the big dogs in the Western Conference, right? Like I would I'd take the Stars and the Avalanche, I'd take the Golden Knights and the Kings 100%. After that, like you could probably say the Rangers in the East. And again, like you could probably make it like again, Florida, but it's like who are is 100% better? Like this team is way is just like in a different tier than the Leafs. It's not that many teams and that's I guess maybe that's worth keeping in mind, but it's also like it's about the incentive of this team to improve and that they aren't theoretically like that far away from being what a top tier team as as many problems as they have, which is kind of crazy. I think it kind of goes to show the mediocre mediocrity in the league, to be honest. Yeah. And I guess the point that I'll ultimately make to wrap that up about um, the Leafs generally playing hard against top teams is they generally play down to the bottom teams and look like full points for, I mean, I thought that they handed it to the Rangers and I know the Rangers came back in and won at a score that looked like they handed it to the Leafs. And I saw Braden Schneider say after the game that they circled that, that game after the Leafs, I thought handed their ass to them in New York. And like, to be honest, like if the Rangers sat there and said like, wow, like we really stuck it back to the Leafs. Like, I think they're kidding themselves. I, I, like they had a number. Uh, of, it's a coin flip game. Three, yeah, three uh, fluky goals. I hated the breakdown on the Schneider goal, and like the you know the uh, the Leafs just as easily could have won by that same score. So if the Rangers are proud with that performance, like wow, good for them. I just I don't agree. But what bothers me is like just these guys are in their like mid to late twenties now, like the core group, like the core three, and they haven't proven that they are able to just flip a switch. Like they haven't, like they, they've clearly proven the opposite. Like they are not capable of just like turning it on come playoff time, except for Morgan Riley. Like if people want to sit here and dump on Morgan Riley, I'd say, who cares? We know that come playoff time, Mo will deliver. Like I, like I don't even need to watch. Like I don't even write about Morgan Riley anymore. Like who cares? Playoff time. Like this guy's, you know, he's going to bring it. Love to see it. I've, you know, whatever, got not much else to say, but these guys haven't proven that. So they don't, to me, like they don't get, like, they don't get where we just shrug it off. And I think they need to prove otherwise. And I think the coaching staff needs to hold them to a higher standard where it's not like you lose to nine, three. And I talk, I hear, and I read Sheldon talking about like, well, that Buffalo team's actually like a lot more talented than like their results would give them. <laughs> credit for like, like that was yeah, a that real could be thing true, that he said but like who cares that's yeah. not what matters yeah are you kidding like are we going to compare buffalo's talent level to the panthers to the tampa bay lightning like go down the list like the new york rangers like come on man like like we can't be doing those things anymore like they like they're old enough like it's just like it's not professional you know you get a two nothing lead at home and you get a power play midway through the game and you give up one and then you give up a breakaway right after. It's like the first one, it's like, okay, sometimes shit happens. But then to give up a breakaway the next shift. And then to just like, ultimately at that point, I was already my mind going like they're losing this game and probably in regulation. And they did like they've mounted very little pushback in the third period. I thought Ottawa handed it to them in the second. And like, these are just, they're things that you would like to see them grow out of a little bit. Um, I think it's fair to be frustrated buy it and it, i think it's it's particularly disappointing when you see it like like their top guys were all on the ice for that goal like the tying goal they had top guys on the ice again like the, i think it was the second line that was on for the the terrible goal and like i know the game winner and i know it was terrible but again like they were getting hemmed in their zone like bad things generally happen when you get hemmed in your zone and i know they had chances like it easily could have banged home a few of those in front of the net but just the, the general flow of the game, the way Ottawa came out and just tilted the ice in the second period, which has been a really bad period for the Leafs, which is usually not the sign of a good team. Like that long change in the second is, is usually when good teams really kind of put their foot down. And you look at a team like Colorado, whose record is roughly the same as the Leafs at this point. And you have guys like Devin Tays and like these guys won a cup like two years ago. And Devin Taves coming out, calling out teammates, saying these guys are kidding themselves. They think they're playing well because like that is their standard. Like that is a, a championship winning team. And their record is not far off from the Leafs. And they play in an easier conference than the Leafs. Like they could sit there and 
Like if anyone has like the right to be like, we can turn it on when we want. Colorado is like one of like three teams that can lay claim to that. And like, I just want to see that more from these guys. All right. I think that's a pretty good sort of point to roughly end on today. We had, we had, you know, we had a rundown. We had things we were playing out talking about, but when you come on and record in the immediate aftermath of a loss like that, uh, this, this is going to be the result. Maybe you're going to get a, <laughs> a little bit of a less structured, uh, more emotional version of the podcast. I think hopefully that's kind of in tune with what a lot of you guys listening are feeling right now. Cause I'm sure a lot of you guys are frustrated. Um, before we go, I did want to encourage everyone listening. Cause I know the Maple Leaf hot stove has such an amazing community to please, um, rate and review the podcast. We have a lot of sort of old ratings and reviews, not reflective of the new show necessarily and that kind of stuff is very valuable for us if we want to climb the charts and do podcast i'm not going to pretend i know how algorithms work but you guys know what to do if you get involved on that side it's something we'd very much appreciate and we will be with you again next week I know what I see